0: The show! You have all made it through the damn. Yeah. You have all made it, made it made. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host. John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to
1: the John of All Trades podcast, the Denver Westward Reader's Choice for Best Podcast 2017, episode 132. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. I swear to you, I will not do that in every intro going forward, but we're only three shows since I won that award. No, this is only the second show. It's only two shows that I've been able to announce that I won the best podcasts according to the Denver Westward Readers. That's fantastic. That's amazing. Uh, I feel very grateful for that and immensely humbled. So if you are a longtime listener, thank you. If you took the time to vote, thank you again. If this is your very first time at the show, thank you for joining us on this week's show. And I cannot believe that I haven't done this on the show already. And please excuse me. I'm fighting a cold. So if my voice sounds a little janky a little wonky a little poor quality that's why so uh i don't know just uh, a blessing for my children i think i cannot believe i have not done a show on this yet but i haven't talked to anyone from the faith community so on this week's show i'm happy to welcome reverend rusty butler and he is the reverend he is the pastor at arvada united methodist church Now, I attended this church very briefly as a kid. Rusty was not there at that time. And I used to go to vacation Bible school there and stuff. And I was confirmed in the Methodist church. My parents still go. I haven't been to church in a long time. But I'm still interested in it. I I don't have an antagonism about religion. I'm not opposed to religion. I just haven't been in a very long time. And I didn't plan on talking about that in the intro. But, you know, whatever. Here we are. And... I don't know if it's a byproduct of the church that I was raised in, but I remember going to church and not feeling what I thought I was supposed to feel. And I don't know what I would attribute that to. I mean, that's probably a whole episode in and of itself. But what I do know is when I talked to Rusty, Rusty got me more jazzed and more energized about religion and Christianity than I had been in some time. And I think the reason for that is as we go along in culture, things change. You know, trends move in a particular direction, Uh, and I'm talking about social issues. And notably, as it pertains to this issue, we talk about LGBT rights and acceptance of LGBT people into the Christian church, into the United Methodist Church. And I posit to Rusty that some of the messaging from the people who, you know, speak their faith the loudest and people who I would say are most commonly identified with the evangelical community— can be off-putting as acceptance of LGBT rights becomes more and more mainstream. It appears as though the church is behind. And I'm not afraid to get into that with Rusty here, and he's not afraid to talk about it with me. There's a big, big thing going on right now in the United Methodist Church. Their bishop is an out lesbian, and next week they are holding a conference determining whether or not she can be a bishop or not. And the fallout from that, whether they say she can, whether they say she can't, or whether they punt the decision to 2019, is going to be interesting. It's going to be fairly landmark. And we talk about that in this week's episode, too. And I didn't want to be overtly political here, but when you go to ArvadaUMC.org, their site is written in a way that says, we welcome everyone. We have room at the table for everyone. We are unapologetically progressive. Now, that to me doesn't seem like a political statement on its face, but we live in 2017 where pretty much everything is interpreted uh, from a political stance. So I thought it pertinent to get into these issues with Rusty. Now, we also talk about how the church used to be the central social institution of everyone's lives in America. And now things are much more diffuse. Uh, additionally, how did Rusty, and I'm using big air quotes here that you cannot see because this is radio, How he got the call, because that's the way he said it to me. How did Rusty get the call? What caused him to go from being a sort of middle manager statistician for standards and poor to becoming uh, a full-time minister, a full-time reverend, a pastor? One of the things I think is most interesting about this episode is talking about sort of the interior life of a pastor, how he's at his heart, a a regular dude. He's just another dude existing in society. But it's almost like society expects him to act a certain way all the time. And how much of that is true to his nature and how much of that is he amplifying certain parts of his persona when he's up in front of people? It's very, very interesting. We expect sort of the same thing of teachers and other folks in our society. So overall, this is an episode I'm immensely proud of. And when I interviewed Kyle Clark, when we turned off the mics, he said, you need to respect your guests enough to ask them tough and pointed questions. And I respect Rusty immensely. And so I wasn't afraid to ask him sort of anything that I thought might be pertinent here. The the questions about religion in modern society, I think are worth asking. And Rusty does a great job of answering them. In my estimation, you're really going to enjoy this episode. So no plugs right up front. We're just going to get right into it. So this is episode 132 of the John of All Trades podcast. Rusty Butler is the Reverend at Arvada United Methodist Church. His episode starts right now. Okay, so it's, uh, it's Monday morning. Obviously, the big show was yesterday, right? That's right. That's <laughs> that's, right. that's the big work day, right? That is the big work day. Um, so, what's a Monday typically look like for you in this world?
0: M- Monday is my day off to relax. Uh, oh, you're coming in? <laughs> yeah, I'm coming in. I'm. I'm uh, but I had to do some things today, so okay, it's, it's great. But uh, yeah, usually I take Mondays off. Okay. And pastors either take it, it seems to me either take Fridays off uh-huh. or Mondays off. It just worked better for me to take Mondays off, so. Okay. We alluded to this, but since Sunday's the big
1: day, right? What does the rest of the week look like? Because, I mean, that's what people see most. You know, that when people think of pastors, they think of your work on Sundays because that's the most visible aspect of your job, right? Right. But there's got to be a lot more that goes into it throughout the week. So what are some of the things that you're doing?
0: <laughs> that's a good question because I can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, oh, hey, you just worked on Sunday. That, that's the easiest job ever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, God didn't work on Sunday. No. Right? Just, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, that's, that's right. the day he rested. <laughs> that's right. So it, it, it is a mixture of study. You got to do the research to put in the research for your sermon. Okay. And then um, pastoral care. Uh, is is part of it of course uh, what's pastoral phone, care phone calls uh visits to the hospital we've always got somebody in the hospital oh sure almost yeah almost always and so you're i think i've i've counted them up one time and i've been to over 25 hospitals wow. in the front range area and so i'm i'm familiar with walking down halls of hospitals wow how is that aspect of your job is that tough it is not an easy thing to do for me Sure. For other people who have that kind of idea, they, they can, they can go in and do that a lot easier than I can, but Mm -hmm. it's work for me to do that. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's that pastoral care aspect and then administration here at the church, uh, doing, doing the things that need to be done. The unglamorous stuff? That is very true. I can be a janitor at times. (laughs) You're Uh, doing custodial work? Oh yes. (laughs) You gotta do that sometimes. Okay. unplugging toilets. That's in my job description. Wow. Uh, I'll bet that's not something you expected (laughs) when you started studying for this, right? No, no. You don't expect that kind of stuff, but that's part of it. I mean, just like we have a leak in the heating system now or air conditioning system Mm -hmm. where water was running out of the building down in front of the, the parking lot over there and it was warm water in the middle of winter, mm-hmm. and we thought, oh, this can't good. be right. This can't be right. <laughs> no. So it's, it's all those kinds of things that uh, make up a a week and many meetings. Oh, really? Uh, I have a number of meetings each week. Okay. What kinds of meetings are you taking? Staff meeting. Oh, uh, we sure. have about yeah, okay. 18 people in our staff, and so we, we uh, have a staff meeting on Tuesday mornings from about 9 o'clock until 11.30. Okay. <laughs> and then after lunch, uh, care team meetings. And so we go through the list of people who are needing care, either hospital, nursing homes, at home, whatever it might be. Yeah, hospice, then, that kind of thing. That's right. And then Tuesday night, I have administrative council meeting, which is uh, uh, the church council. And so all the different kind of programs. Um, wow. So that's a Tuesday. Tuesdays are pretty full. <laughs> I don't know if people would find that surprising or not
1: but uh it's it's funny you have to wear many many hats you know it's it's not just leading the congregation and you know if if you're doing your job correctly or well you know inspiring hope in people and you know giving them a charge to face their weeks and their personal challenges but i mean basically keeping the plates spinning around here
0: right that's a good Image keeping the plates spinning. Yeah, like the old Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Oh yeah,
1: because I mean that's a perfect metaphor for life. This guy's got all these plates on these sticks, and he's keeping them spinning, and you don't want any of them to fall. Sometimes they fall. Right. (laughs) And uh, it's you know it's hard to it's hard to deal with because we all got a lot going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good thing. I mean we we've used the the image of juggler all the time. I mean that's what people do when they're, they're pastors. And you don't really know that when you're going through seminary. You only know that when you're actually sitting in the chair and going, oh, (laughs) preaching from the pulpit. You you preach on Sunday morning, and then you come out of church, uh, out of the the sanctuary, and somebody's going, how come the donuts are up here instead (laughs) of down in the fellowship center? And you think to yourself, God, was that... What should I do about that? <laughs> and you're thinking, is that really That's, the, the main issue? Is yeah. that really a
1: problem? Yeah. But uh, I, I found that with my own wedding too, When and which brings me to my next point. But first I'll just say, when you're running a wedding and you're sort of getting married, there is so much you have to do all the time. And people will come to you with complaints and you go, are you seriously coming to me with this right now? You have no idea how... In my view, inconsequential this is,
0: but to you it's a big deal. So you have to sort of rise to meet their energy. <laughs> that's right. That's a that's a great way to put it. Rise to meet their energy. Somebody who I've known for year, well almost twenty five years, came to me yesterday and and was complaining about where the coffee was located. And so I thought to myself, <laughs> Rusty, should you be, should you rise to this, uh-huh. or should you just let that go? I decided to let it go. Yeah. So there's, there's that sure. in the, in the job trying to figure out what is important to address and what is simply what, what you can just slough off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in addition to sort of,
1: I mean, Sunday's going to come no matter what you've always got Sunday, right? Sunday's coming. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's also got to be what weddings and funerals and sort of the quote unquote special events that you have to do. How many
0: of those would you say you do in a year? Well, funerals—I've probably done now in the twelve years that I've been here at this church around two hundred funerals. Oh my goodness! So, in in some churches where people your age in their thirties, mm-hmm. uh, there are some of my colleagues who have churches like that, and they don't do three or four funerals a year. But right. I'm talking about doing you know fifteen to maybe twenty. A year. Wow. And so at least, yeah, one, one, two a month. Sometimes I've done three weddings on one day. We don't do nearly as many weddings, <laughs> three uh, weddings in one day. Yeah. That was, that was too much. I, I think I might've <laughs> made a mistake with the names there. But. Uh, well, what are you going to do? I, 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 I happen to like doing funerals a lot more than weddings. In fact, a lot of pastors will tell you that interesting. It's, um, you're kind of a hired gun when you go in and do a wedding. Okay, in a sense, <laughs> a it, hired gun, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't think of a pastor as a hired gun, no, you don't that's, that's funny, but you go in, you do it and and then you're gone and but when you're when you're doing a funeral, you meet with the family as the person is dying, you meet with the family as they go through their grief process uh-huh. you, you connect with them afterwards and see how they're doing, so funerals are are uh, important pieces of of the ministry, I think wow. So we're sitting here with Rusty Butler,
1: Reverend at Arvada United Methodist Church. Uh, and we are in Arvada United Methodist Church, which I realized uh, I attended vacation Bible school here as a kid. So as I'm looking out on this, I mean, you guys have a beautiful facility here. Um, as I'm looking out, I'm like, I feel like I played freeze tag and Red <laughs> Rover and stuff on this yard that we're looking at, um, yeah. which as I was driving over here, I hadn't been up here in a while and I had forgotten, A, how close you are to the Arvada Center and B that I had spent actually some fairly significant time here, but it's it's been a very long time. The trees were probably a lot smaller out there than uh, that's probably true, no doubt. Um, time oh. makes fools of us all, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So when you're going through something like a funeral, does that take its toll on you mentally? I mean, is it is it hard to not internalize that energy? And you know, how do you sort of overcome that, or how do you, you know, redirect
0: the energy? That's that's good. I I had a friend who uh, once said, when you go into a church, you, do, you you bury strangers. And then after you stay there for a while, you're doing funerals for acquaintances. Uh, but after you stay there for a number of years, you are doing funerals for friends. Oh, my. And that becomes, I mean, just that image, that continuum of, oh, now I know this person in a much stronger and deeper way then it becomes more personal as you do those funerals. Mm-hmm. And it's harder. It's, it's simply harder to do. And hmm. uh, maybe that's why they moved United Methodist ministers historically every three or four years. Really? So that people didn't get that close. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that was one of the reasons. But now the idea is to keep pastors in their place a little bit longer, well, at least seven or hmm. eight years, uh, maybe longer. So that people actually get to know you, and you know them, and sure. their their stories. Wow, I, I mean, in terms of so in terms of self care, though,
1: mm-hmm. how do you sort of handle that? You know, do you have coping techniques? You know, how do you manage dealing with what is, for I would argue, most people one of the most intense things they will ever go through when they are bearing a loved one. Not to get too deep too early. But. No,
0: no. You, you, you just go into that valley of, of grief. Even as a pastor, you, you, you go in there, but you know you're the professional. And so uh, you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find myself tearing up at many of the funerals, but I, I do it when I'm watching the pictures of their life yeah. unfold mostly. I, I, I try to hold it together you know, as, as mm-hmm. much as I can. My coping mechanism for for doing all those funerals is is making sure that i I take days off, yeah, so that uh, I can get away from
1: it, sure, mentally recharge, yeah, because I mean what you're describing is I think what doctors would refer to as bedside manner because I mean people are going to be looking to you as uh, a pillar of strength uh, in a time that is very difficult for them. is that accurate?
0: You, there's a certain role that you play when you when you are doing a funeral or when you're the pastor mm-hmm. preaching. You put on. We we wear robes on Sunday, mm-hmm. and sometimes on, for a funeral, I will do that. I'll do that, especially for people who I think, right? I get the feeling that they need um, somebody in a robe, mm. which the kids here call it my black dress, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> It, it is a symbol. It's symbol. Yeah. Uh and, and that's important for some folks. And, and so, yeah, I'll wear it sometimes and not wear it others. In some
1: ways, is it almost like a persona? Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do people ever have a hard time when you meet them, say, outside of you know, hours where you're doing service or at an event like this, do people ever have a hard time separating the persona from, you know, rusty Butler, just the person, the citizen. Yeah.
0: When I'm golfing and I I golf when I just go and and, uh, meet up with other people, strangers, Mm -hmm. I I try not to tell them what I do because it changes the dynamic in such a way they, they start, you know, they'll be swearing or doing whatever, (laughs) Uh, on the way and then and the golf course will facilitate that <laughs> <laughs> and then, then they 'll ask what I do you know the the discussion gets around to that sometimes, and uh, almost always that 's that 's something <clears throat> that we talk about as a culture right. all the time, yeah, and so when I say pastor, then it changes it 's like a a, a switch that 's mm. been flipped so I, I I try not to to go down that path and then they 're affecting a
1: persona. You know, because they're trying to, I, and I don't know necessarily why. I, I mean, I relate to the impulse. You know, when you, when you meet someone who is a man of faith, probably, and I'm guessing based on this interaction, more so than the, than whoever you're with, right? At least to a higher degree. Is it like they don't want to disappoint you or they don't want to offend you or something?
0: I think it's more the second they don't, they don't want to offend me. Mm. But one of the things that uh, got me into ministry, in the first place, was I, I was helping with the youth group down in Castle Rock, and the pastor, the associate pastor, asked me if I wanted to play softball. Hmm. And I, I thought I played softball for years and years, and I thought, okay, I can do that. So we went out, played. Afterwards, we were done with the practice and and done playing, and and he said, "Would you like to go get a beer?" And I thought to myself, "These are my people." <laughs> <laughs> and and I, it was the first time that I thought somebody was real who was a pastor. Sure, yeah. And so my my feeling has been over the years uh, to let people and make people know that, that I'm a real person. And so on the golf course, if I let loose uh, uh, some <laughs> an, swear words. An expletive? Yeah, a few times. I, I, that, that happens. And so I like to let people see that I'm a real person and all pastors are real people. Sure.
1: I, I think, I think culturally we're almost trained to, and I would say the same thing with teachers too. We're almost trained to see them in that role and we have expectations about that and You'll, you'll hear people say, I saw my teacher in the grocery store and my, my brain melted. You know, it's (laughs) like, well, they, they have groceries that they need to buy too. They have sort of an, an exterior life that they have beyond what this, this narrow role that you see them in. And I don't know why we do that, but that's a weird cultural
0: thing. That is true, John. I, you know, when I go to the grocery store now, I sometimes I'm looking in my, my cart to see, if somebody from the church came along, would they, <laughs> would they get mad because I'm eating a steak or uh, would they, it, it's, it's a strange. Are, are you being enough thing. of a pastor, right? Yeah. And I have to be careful about going to the liquor store, you know, and getting a 12 pack of beer or whatever, because <laughs> I think, what will people think of me? And yet, you know, it, it's just, it's just part of the, part of the gig. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's gotta be a strange balance
1: to walk though, especially, for a church like this where on your website you you note that this is unapologetically progressive right in terms of the way that you approach uh faith and mm-hmm. christianity does that ever i i'm assuming you meet with other pastors and there's is there some sort of governing body over united methodist
0: I have a boss the district Sorry. superintendent and the district superintendent has a boss who's the bishop okay And, and so it's a strange thing because I have this whole congregation is my boss. Essentially they can get rid of me or my district superintendent or Bishop can get rid of me. So I'm kind of stuck between (laughs) you're, you're, you're almost like a middle manager. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Middle manager. Huh?
1: So in terms of the direction of the church, in terms of being progressive and notably with things like, um, the LGBT community, Mm -hmm. Does that ever is there ever friction there between this congregation and and Arvada United Methodist Church and others or because I'm assuming there are others that are more conservative and they may not jibe necessarily with that philosophy
0: right in the United Methodist Church right now you may know this John at the end of this month our bishop Bishop Karen Alavido is a an out lesbian mm-hmm. and so there's a judicial council which is our supreme court the United wow. Methodist Supreme Court, who's looking at that and deciding whether she can be bishop or not. If they decide that she can be bishop for the Western, uh, for the Rocky Mountain Conference, which is our conference, then there will be a number of churches around the country, and you will see it in newspapers that will recede or secede from the United wow. Methodist Church. If she goes, if, if they vote, Essentially to that she cannot uh, be a bishop. That's right. Then there will be an uprising from liberal churches or progressive churches mm. like Arvada United Methodist churches Arvada United Methodist Church, which may um, see those liberal churches moving away from the United Methodist Church. It's going to be an interesting month. Wow. And that's happening this month? April 25th through April 28th is when the Judicial Council meets. Wow. The decision will come down at the end of April, and then it will be in the papers. I would think so. Yeah. I, no matter how that decision falls, I mean, that's going to be sort of a landmark thing, isn't it? Absolutely. There is uh, one possibility they might kick the can down the road, so to speak, and wait until the General Conference of 2019 mm. uh, to make a decision. It, it will be very interesting this month.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I did not know that, that, was, that this episode was going to be that timely. But, yeah. Um, wow. Um, were you
0: attracted to this church because of its more sort of progressive stance in that regard? When I was in seminary, I, I went to I Love School of Theology, which is the seminary at DU. And I was in the basement of the library. We had a carol there. And, and I was a youth pastor at that point in time. I thought I'd never have to preach. I didn't want to preach. <laughs> and uh, I, I was getting close to the end of my time there. And I, I was digging through this big box of books. And one of them said, The Endless Search. And it was 50 cents. And mm-hmm. so I picked it up because it was a, a book of sermons. It happened to be a book of sermons by the pastor of this church. His name was Dr. Earl Hanna. And I read through that book of sermons, and I thought maybe I could steal some of these sermons. <laughs> and and uh, the sermons, they t- they spoke to me. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Well, a few years down the line, I was at Longmont and... Uh, the pastor here was a, a a professor at ILF, and he spoke to me one day and said, Rusty, what are you going to do uh, this next appointment season? And I said, I'll, I'll probably just stay at Longmont. And then I left it at that. And a friend said, Rusty, he's asking you if you want to go to Arvada. And mm-hmm. so I called back and, and said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to come to Arvada. Because I knew the theology of the professor and the pastor here before and i thought i i find myself in that line of thinking. Hmm. And so that's why that's why i I wanted to come. I I came from Rocky Ford. Uh i was i was a pastor down there hmm. and well, way down south. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh came came here. And it's been a good match. Since we're on the subject, let's
1: uh let's go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so how long have you been a pastor then?
0: I have been a pastor for 22 years.
1: Okay. And, I mean, you you said you thought that you didn't want to be a pastor, right?
0: Right. And what were you doing before then? I was initially a statistician. I have a business degree. Came out of the University of South Dakota with a business degree. Okay. Is that where you're from? Mm-hmm. Okay. Came out here, and, and I started working for Standard & Poor's. You okay, wow. That. As a statistician, worked myself up into middle management. And was the manager of business business systems development. Wow! When uh, I got the call, so to speak. No, <laughs> and th- and those were big air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, a call. You know, it, it has this kind of drama to it. But my yeah, drama, almost like a mysticism, right? Yeah, like pe- right. yeah, people. It's it's usually a big dramatic thing when you hear people
1: describe it. It's a very theatrical. Yeah,
0: it wasn't for me. <laughs> A little on, more mundane. On Sunday nights, I would wor- be working with the youth group, and I loved working with the youth group. On Monday morning, I didn't want to go in to work. Right. And uh, somebody said, "Rusty, a calling to ministry happens in a lot of different ways. Think about that as possibly a calling to ministry." Hmm. When I th- started thinking of it that way, I thought, "Okay, I can I can get that." Interesting. I see that. That's more real and rational to me. Yeah. So that's what I did. Did you enroll in seminary or,
1: and did you maintain your job during this time or how does that work?
0: Well, that's a really good question. Seminary costs so much Mm. that people, if they can, they stick with their job at that point in time. I didn't have the knowledge to do that. Mm -hmm. So I quit my job. (laughs) And, uh, at that point I was, I think I was making a little over $40,000 a year and I was making two hundred and fifty dollars a month as a youth pastor. Okay, two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Well, so, and
1: forty grand in. So, what did you say? Like 19, twenty-two
0: years ago? Yeah, nineteen ninety-one is when I started at seminary. That's a pretty good gig. Yeah, it was a good gig, and uh, so the the decrease in salary was fairly significant to my family. Fairly devastating, I'm yes, sure it was. But you know. Uh, you make that choice, and and you think, well, I'm I'm going to do that. That's gonna, mm-hmm. that's the way I want to have my life unfold. And how long is seminary? How long does that take? Three years typically. Okay. It took me five. Okay, it's a little bit longer. Why? What happened? Uh, you know, the last two classes, I just didn't want to take. One of them was preaching. Can't remember what the other one was. <laughs> preaching fairly central to what you do yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> why why didn't you want to take it i just i i was afraid of it really um just didn't know what i wanted to say mm-hmm. and so i just kind of procrastinated on that <laughs>
1: That's funny. And I suppose unsurprising given that you are a statistician. Right. Um I a mean, whole different thing. Yeah, that's that's a much different job type. <laughs> than, that is. I mean, in in terms of the preaching aspect, and we touched on this, but that is obviously the most visible part of what you do. Mm-hmm. That is uh you know, if we're talking sort of advertising terms, that is the sizzle. You right. know? That's not the steak necessarily. I mean, it is, but it's also the sizzle. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's what people come in the doors for that is you know what they're here to see
0: 15 minutes
1: 15 minutes yep wow okay out of an hour service
0: right okay 15 minutes out of an out of a week's worth of work (laughs) right yeah kind of a lot riding on it then the pressure's on (laughs) uh how did you overcome it that that happens well i'm i still haven't overcome it it is still a moment that is fraught with fear for me, okay. um, have I done good research? Have I got stories that will touch people have i Have I done the work mm-hmm. and, and then to deliver it, I mean at the beginning, when you're delivering the sermons it's uh it 's a puzzle I suppose it 's like a stand up comedian in a way in some ways you yeah. have to practice and practice so that you get that right. And so it's just years and years of experience now.
1: I, I hope you'll forgive the crudity of this (laughs) analogy, but it's one my dad gave me when I started writing, uh, professionally. And he said, having a weekly column is like having a nymphomaniac. Okay. Right. It's fun for a little while. And then all of a sudden it's kind of a burden. There you you go. Because, I mean, you have to have fresh material for 15 minutes. People will get their stand-up comedy act. You brought up stand-up comedy, and I've talked to comedians on this show. Comedians used to wait to go on Carson. They'd get their five minutes dialed in exactly right, but that's the same five minutes that they are just perfecting so that they can go on Johnny Carson once. Right. You have 15 minutes of time, and if you haven't prepped material, if you haven't written regularly or given presentations regularly, 15 minutes is both... Very, very short and a lifetime <laughs> in terms right? of how long it is. Right. And the amount of content that you have to then churn through is staggering. As someone who creates a weekly show, I know what that's like in, in my own sort of weird way. Right. So
0: do you ever burn out on that? Yeah. You, you, you come to a point when you think, I have nothing else to say. I have nothing else to give these people. <laughs> yeah, cause you're digging from within you. Right. I mean,
1: you have to mine yourself and all of your experiences. To that end, you're right. It's almost exactly like a stand-up comedian, but with a different bent and a different thrust. Right.
0: I, I think, you know, I'm always looking for material. <laughs> sure. Right. And so this last week, of course, Easter is coming up on, on Sunday, this, this coming Sunday. And so a woman came to me the other day and she, w- was a volunteer at the Shriners Hospital. Mm -hmm. And she was talking to me about that work at the, at the Shriners Hospital and she mentioned two stories. And one of them was of a boy that she had known when he was five and, and started going to the Shriners Hospital. He was born without feet. And so the doctors there made feet for him when he was six years old and they have to continually make adjust those feet yeah, because he's he grown. bigger. Sure, well,
1: Yeah. He can't have be-
0: tiny little six year old feet when he's 16 years old. That's exactly right. And so it was this, this image of, Oh my God, he, he has to keep doing that and getting new feet. Yeah. We don't have to think about that. And then she also talked about this young woman who was a teenager. She was born with no hands and she was playing the violin the last time that she saw her. And uh, I was trying to put that in my mind, like, we think we have problems, <laughs> and we try to overcome these small things, but being born without feet or being born without hands? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I'm, I'm looking for stories like that. They come yeah. at me every day, uh, and I just have to try to figure out which ones will reach people. Does it have anything to do with... The biblical text mm-hmm. that I'm I'm using, so
1: so okay. When you're structuring this, how would you say it works more often? Do you find uh, a bu- a biblical text that grabs you, and mm-hmm. then you try and incorporate it with some other stories, or do you find a story first and you go, you know what, that's related to this piece of biblical text, right? What, which I call that a chicken or egg
0: question. Yeah, it's it's both, and and it's both because sometimes we'll start with the biblical text. I know I've got to, I've got to speak about the resurrection in some way this week. Right. And so, but what, what am I going to say about it? People here have heard these stories for, (laughs) you know, in some form or fashion, right, their whole lives. And so they know the story as well as I do. And so this week I'm talking about being touched by resurrection. And Hmm. so, I'm looking at stories just like those two stories with the teenager and the and the, the young boy, and I think how do they experience a newness in their life? Mm. They might experience a newness by getting new feet, and so that there there's this uh, give and take, I guess, yeah. between the biblical text and the life as it unfolds for for folk.
1: Sure, and I mean, as as someone who is trained as a statistician. Are you staggered by the amount of writing that you have
0: to do? Yes. I was really struck by that at the beginning. And and when I went into seminary, I thought, I can't write. I never Mm. was good at writing. Right. And so I had to take a test to see whether I could actually write (laughs) at a master's degree level. And oh, wow, I, with a business degree, you don't write a whole lot. No. You know, you're you're figuring out stuff.
1: Well, and it's fairly technical. You know, it's yeah. it's fairly dry in like business writing.
0: And these are not, you know, multiple choice answers. I was really good at those tests. Oh, sure, in business school. But uh, no, it's 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 something completely different. Anyway, I took this test. It was putting punctuation marks in a paragraph, and I think it was Ernest Hemingway. I don't know why they gave us that, but anyway, I I, I passed. And that was probably the worst thing that, that could have happened because I needed remedial <laughs> English. Oh, wow. So it, that has been uh, learning on the job. Do you ever look back
1: on certain sermons that you do and you go, that one wasn't so good?
0: <laughs> of course. You know, well, if you asked me what I preached on three weeks ago, I would not know. No. It, I, you're,
1: you're churning through content. it's has gone. It's
0: gone. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've given some real clunkers
1: (laughs) (laughs) i uh, i think back on one i heard on christmas eve as a kid i've never forgotten this and i don't know what that means but and i don't want to throw anyone under the bus so i won't mention who this is by name but they told the the story of joseph and mary and jesus and the night of you know of the birth but he told it from the point of view of the donkey and, I mean, that sounds like it could be interesting. Yeah. Really wasn't so good. Not so good. No. And my dad and I, we, we come out, <laughs> we come out of the church and we're like, okay, so that was unusual, right? <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought he might be reaching for
0: this one. Yeah, you get into funk and, <laughs> and you, you try to use your imagination so that you come at it at a different angle. And things like that happen. Yeah. So you might even have a great pastor who's trying to go, I need to come at this from a different perspective. And it just doesn't work. Yeah. It just do you, doesn't come off. Are you
1: ever able to adjust sort of mid-story or mid-stream where you're reading the audience and you go, I think people are lilting a little bit here. Um, <laughs> how, how do I adjust the energy or, you know, can you change course almost mid-stream?
0: That is good First Easter sermon that I gave at Rocky Ford. Mm-hmm. Place is packed. There's 200 people in a place that holds 150. Yeah, filled with Easter Christians, right? Easter Christians, C and E Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians. <laughs> I'm giving my sermon, and all of a sudden, I hear somebody snoring, <laughs> and they're snoring really loud. And I see the person behind this person jumping up and down juggling up and down and i think they they can't hold their laughter in yeah. and i thought i've lost it now and they were kicking the underneath of the pew to wake the person up she was gone she was done <laughs> completely completely asleep so yeah there are times when you think i'm i'm on the wrong track here i can see the eyes glazing over and what can i do to to change that up hmm. If you can move, if you can make a move in the middle of a, a sermon like that and, and then catch, get, yeah, bring people them back, you, you've done some, some work there. Yeah.
1: that day. <laughs> yeah. You are, uh, that, I mean, that's master class, right? You've
0: earned your salary.
1: Yeah. Clearly. So we mentioned Easter is coming up and, uh, we, C&E Christians. I, I do remember one sermon from my youth about, uh, why the church should embrace C&E Christians, mm-hmm. right? Um, what 's your take on c christians
0: you know i I think there's uh there 's a reason that you get up on Easter morning and you think i 'm gonna go to church i haven 't gone you know for a few months yeah or for a year yeah who knows uh and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go and so on Easter morning, this place will be packed, and many of the people will be strangers to me and that 's okay sure. And so, but I, I have to try to figure out what, what is there that I could say that might bring people back the next week? Mm. What is, what are they looking for? Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes that is a question that I don't know the answer to.
1: That's true. Everyone's looking for something different. Yeah.
0: But it is in my head as I go through this week trying to figure out what to say or how to speak. Whether they come back or, or not next week is, is a whole nother question. And usually people don't get moved by one sermon. They just don't make it, that just doesn't change their whole life. It can,
1: it, but it, yeah, I, I would argue the odds of that are, are fairly small. Yeah. Um, I mean, any one speech in a vacuum generally, uh, you know, unless it's something like Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Um, doing I have a dream, but that, I mean, that's one of, what? Less than a dozen speeches that anyone can recall off the top of their head?
0: Absolutely. And there are thousands and thousands of sermons given each week. Yeah. Do you hear about them? Uh no. Generally, no. 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 Um, so what? what I think I've come to realize is that what really is important is the relationship between the pastor and the people on a week-to-week basis— where you are building trust and you you hope as a pastor that you say something new and something interesting, mm. something that they might not have known. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that my, you know, three, five years in seminary has given me some level of expertise that folks don't have an opportunity to do that. You know, they, they, they haven't paid the, you know, $30,000 a year to go to seminary. And so they don't have that expertise. Wow. Is your congregation here? Is it pretty strong? Do you guys have good attendance we We have attendance about three seventy five to four
1: hundred per week that without knowing any context that sounds pretty good to me
0: yeah it's it's this is the this is one of the bigger United Methodist churches in the north part of the city. There are a couple of large United Methodist churches in the south part and then trinity is is pretty big obviously oh downtown, downtown yeah yeah.
1: Uh, I I think I've attended a couple of weddings down there.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful place. That's right
1: at uh, the corner of like Broadway and 18th, right? That's right.
0: Right across the street from Brown Palace.
1: Yeah. No, I know that one well. I've been there a couple of times. Beautiful church. You're right.
0: Yeah. They're a rich church. They sold their airspace Mm -hmm. above them back in the the boom, the oil gas boom. Yeah. And so they were going to build a a skyscraper up above Trinity, Mm -hmm. and they sold the airspace, which I thought was brilliant. Wow. We don't. We can't do that out here.
1: Uh, no, that, that would be oddly fitting uh, out here. Um, but the reason I ask is because every so often you'll read an op-ed or a trend piece or something in, I don't know, the Wall Street Journal or the New Yorker or whatever, talking about declining church attendance. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that it's been on the decline for some time. Right. right. What would you say you attribute that to?
0: I suppose there are a number of different factors. Sure. The secularization of culture is is part of it. Your father and my father grew up at a time when church was central. Right. And that was just one of the central institutions. School, church, I don't know, football. Work. Work, right. Those three things. Now things seem to be more... I don't know. Uh, diffuse, I would say. Yeah, diffuse is a good, a good word. I'm going to Salt Lake City. I, I've been appointed to Salt Lake City and it's, so I'll be going there in wow. July. And there, the heavy culturalization of, of the LDS or the Mormon church, mm-hmm. it tends to polarize the other churches, Catholic and Protestant. And so those communities, those churches become stronger. Because people see their religious life and their social life as that group,
1: they're, they're more they're more intertwined. Yes, and I I think it's funny because my uncle asked me about this. He said, "Why don't young people go to church?" And I said, "I don't know that you can necessarily attribute it to like loss of faith or anything like that, but there are a number of social factors, and it's what you just spoke to, which is." That the church used to be everything. It used to be where you met people, where you got together with friends, where you, uh, played softball, where you had potlucks, where you, you know, had, uh, garage sales, that kind of thing. It all happened at the church. That was the primary social institution of a community. Right. That was its role. And now you're right. That's been filled by so many other different things. It reminds me almost of the newspaper industry. Where the, where the backbone was classified advertising. Well, now classified advertising is everywhere and free. You know, there's Craigslist, there's Facebook, there's Google, there's, there's any number of places where you can buy things where, whereas before, everyone had to go to the newspaper if they wanted to buy or sell something, uh, privately. In the past, everyone had to go to the church if you wanted to have any social life at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, there are a lot of options out there. Yep. Is that tough to deal with?
0: Well, it's definitely tough to deal with. And I just read this article about Sears and, and them going bankrupt and, and getting out of business. I mean, it, it's, it's like that. I, th- I think about the mainline denominations and they're on a precipitous decline. Mm. Our church here has been on a plateau for probably I don't know, 12, 15 years, as long as I've been here, we've, we've not increased, we've not decreased. And so I've done 200 funerals Mm -hmm. here. So people are coming in and replacing those people that have died. Right. I mean, basically that's, that's what it is here, but there are other churches obviously that, that uh, are declining and they feel the struggle. And so churches can't afford to, to have a full-time pastor. Wow. So pastors have to either have more than one church or they have to have a what is called a tent making a church, which is you, you, you have a regular job and then you come in and, and ah. do funerals and weddings and preach on, on Sunday and maybe teach a wow. class or something.
1: And, uh, and be that hired gun, sort That's of. That's right.
0: Wow. That's right. So it's, it's changing for the seminaries. It's changing for pastors. Um, I'm at the end of my career. Um, I'm almost 60. And so it, it's, it's changed in the last 25 years. Yeah. So people your age who are coming into ministry, I I feel for them especially in churches like the United Methodist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Lutheran Church where they're going can I even support a family mm. here can I can I do this and uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough over the next 20 years for sure
1: I mean you hear that with a lot of professions nowadays I mean journalism is certainly another one right where where people go can I even support a family on this when I'm getting you know 75 bucks for an article right and I don't know how they do it Exactly. And what you're describing to me, I, I, it seems like it would be much more difficult to, uh, to support a family in that regard, given that we are in one of the more progressive churches. Mm-hmm. I, and I And I would say as culture evolves, you know, you, you see social issues generally move from, from the majority of people are opposed to something to gradually as generations sort of evolve moves to more acceptance would you say some of the church's more progressive or I'm sorry, more conservative stances on some of these issues, like say LGBT rights, mm-hmm. uh, is that inhibiting new membership given that if you see opinion polling, generally more young people are supportive of, of offering full rights to LGBT communities, whereas the church is sort of behind in terms of its acceptance of that.
0: I, th- I, th- I think that's right, John. Uh, m- most young people, if they haven't gone to church and they, they see the church or who it represents the church on the media. Sure. Um, and elected, the, elected politicians. Right. They go, oh my god, the church is so far behind. Right. The people who actually are going to churches and they want to go to church, even young people go, we're looking for that rainbow symbol. Hmm. Um, we're hmm. looking for churches that are reconciling or um, that that accept LGBT folk, and so this church has been that since the 1990s and even before. It wasn't a ni- it wasn't one of the subjects that was coming up. No, of course. But n- in the 1990s, it started to come to the surface, and and so this church at that point in time said we are we are going to be open, hmm. and uh, we're going to challenge the United Methodist Church on issues like doing same sex. Weddings or unions here at church, and they've they've done that for you know twenty years or so.
1: Is that tough um, when you have people who are probably the most active, vocal, you know? And I I don't want to paint them solely as evangelicals because I don't think that's necessarily fair. But when that is the loudest voice, and you have sort of almost everyone else, almost you know rank and file folks uh, who are just going about their lives, going. You know, what they're saying is not representative of who we are. Is that a challenge for you?
0: For whatever reason, evangelical spokespeople and churches, whether it's been, I don't know, the moral majority, Jerry Falwell and that crew, or Pat Robertson or whoever it might be who's the spokesman, Franklin Graham, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. When I see people like that being the spokespeople, people for christianity i think that is not who i am certainly and it's not who the united methodist church is mm. or the presbyterian church or the lutheran church or the roman catholic church and so I, we get a bad rap in a sense yeah. with young people going that's what christianity is then i want nothing to do with it i want nothing to do with that kind of christianity either yeah other than the fact that i have these colleagues who have great hearts they work on issues of homelessness Um, and different kinds of social problems. They are on the different end of the theological spectrum than I am. And and so there, there's this, I want them to be my colleagues. I want them also to not have these terrible views, what I think are terrible views. So there's, there's that. Yeah. There's that.
1: I, I was very challenging. So I was confirmed in the United Methodist church when I was like 13 or 14. Okay. And, uh, one of my favorite things that we did was we went to uh temple one mm-hmm. night and mm-hmm. we we observed um a Jewish service just so we could experience what that was like so we could see uh people who are of slightly different faith how they worship how they do that and I found that incredibly insightful how much do you cross over with folks from different faiths
0: well one one of the things that I, I like about this place is that I have a congregation member who is also a member of Temple Micah, and so I have got to know Rabbi Mo, his name is Adam Morrison, (laughs) uh, from Temple Micah, and he and I see things very similarly when it comes to social issues. Um, Obviously, we we practice religion in, in a different way, but... We sing, we pray, we do sermons, and so there's that kind of connection between us here at the church we We recently had uh, somebody who's a uh, Muslim and, and they came, and I've been to seek services uh, out by Red Rocks. and so for me, uh, one of the one of the I, I suppose you saw it on the website. we have a a big mural here at church that has people of different faiths. Uh, different religions sitting at the same table. It's like the Last Supper in a sense. <laughs> in fact, we call it the the next supper um, or room at the table for all. And there are people of different faiths sitting around a, a, a table. And so that's important to me. Yeah. Um, to honor different faith traditions, it seems unreasonable to me to think that Christianity is the only way.
1: And that's frustrating to me, too, mm-hmm. Um because and I, I am wary of anyone who says I have the truth. Oh my I gosh, yes. have the answers that just immediately puts me on the defensive. I go, Ugh, uh, do you I'm really buy that? Like, that's pretty tough. I mean, I, I have two young girls and I know I mean, one is two and a half. The other one is nine months. I have learned that I know nothing every day. <laughs> right. Right. And the idea that you can be so certain and so sure about something that is so grand and so, in my mind, unknowable, is makes me go, "Mm, I don't know. I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Anybody with that kind of an idea, it's it's off-putting to me. Yes. And so there's a a certain humility that we we have to, to take when we see the world. When years ago... People didn't see the whole world. How could they? But <laughs> right. now w- we can talk with people. My son is living in Singapore, and so I can get on and FaceTime with him. Um, The world is much smaller now. Yeah. And when the world is smaller, then you know of all these different religions, and you know the way that people have lived in them for generation upon generation. And uh, they found answers to their life's questions. Yeah. And I think we have to... As Christians, for sh- certainly, um, to say there are there are other ways to to think about life's deep questions.
1: Yeah, I I like uh, approaching almost anything of this scope with more questions than answers. Absolutely. So absolutely, you're right on. As we go forward, you mentioned you're going to Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. um, and that's happening okay,
0: uh, July one.
1: July one. Okay. Given that that we are approaching that, what would you say is a message that you have for anyone listening who maybe hasn't been to church in a while, or what would you tell them to expect to get out of coming to say your church?
0: They, they might come with different expectations and we have a number of people who who are coming. I think it's about at, at the base level about relationship. And so we try to put people in the same age range together with people who are the same age or who are in the same life circumstances, hmm. um, try to get them together so that they can feel support from each other. I mean, that's that's key. And so if they just come and are expecting to hear something from me, I'm going to try to talk about the political milieu I think that's important to say what what is happening in the world. For crying out loud, um, ISIS just took uh, credit for bombing two churches in Egypt.
1: Two Christian churches in Egypt, right? Yeah.
0: Two Coptic Christian churches in Egypt, and so I want to speak about that. I want to speak about what's going on in the world because I think if religion is worth anything, it has to deal with what people are going through day to day. That's important, and so I'm going to speak about that. I'm going to speak about if if there's something in the Bible that might speak to the issues that we see. Mm-hmm. The, there are things in the Bible that are just to me crazy. I mean, when you <laughs> read them, you go, "This is just impossible. How can anybody?" So, you're, so it's
1: realize. fair to say you're not a you're not a literalist. I am not a literalist
0: <laughs> by any means okay. because I I think people put that book together and. Um, other people chose which books should go in the Bible and it happened over centuries and centuries. Mm-hmm. Everybody can affirm that. I mean, would yeah. affirm that. That's the way it happened. <laughs> so, but I think there are still, there are, there are treasures in the story and, and you have to pick and choose which, which of those stories are going to mean something. One story might mean something this week or this month, but In 10 years, it might not mm, be as important to you. And so that, that's a dynamic and flowing thing.
1: Hmm.
0: And and I think to let people know that this, this might touch you and it might not. You might be in a different place in your life. Interesting. Well, when people are facing death, that's a different kind of moment when, when people are having a a new baby that needs to be baptized like you. Right, right. right. So it's, it's, it's a different world for everybody.
1: Well, I mean, it, it sounds like you're, you're wearing different hats all the time. Mm. And I'll tell you, Rusty, uh, this was enormously informative for me, very insightful. And, uh, and just getting the chance to talk about these things that make a difference, that are central to our lives, and that I would argue are not explored in as much depth necessarily as they should be. It's just a huge privilege. Uh, to get to do this with you.
0: Hey, I appreciate you asking me. It's it's great. And I'm going to start to to listen to all the John of All Trades um, podcast, The award-winning John of All Trades. Absolutely. Before we get out of
1: here, um, we do plugs on this show. If you'd like to plug the church, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Arvada United Methodist? Plug away. It's all yours.
0: Hey, take a look at us, Arvada United Methodist Church. We are located at 6750 Carr Street in Arvada. It's just about five, six blocks west of the Arvada Center for performing arts. And and so come up. Our services are at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings.
1: Nice. And uh, on the web?
0: org. Fantastic,
1: Rusty. Well, thank you so much for coming in on your day off. Uh, I know this is the day of rest for, <laughs> for the pastor, but uh, appreciate it very much. And uh happy Easter to you.
0: Thank you for asking me. Happy Easter to you.
1: That wraps up episode 132 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thank you to Rusty Butler, Reverend at Arvada United Methodist Church, for taking some time and talking religion with me right before Easter, I might add, which has got to be one of the busiest times of the year for him. Also like to wish him luck on his new endeavor in Salt Lake City. We will miss you around these parts, but uh, you're doing great work. I hope you go forth and you prosper in the future. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D E F T. C-O-M.us. Our sponsor is Four Degrees. The number four, D E G R E.ES. Four Degrees specializes in anything you want to do on the web, whether you're building a website, conducting an online campaign, building your social media presence, or doing a bunch of advertising. Four Degrees has the solutions that you need to reach the audiences who most need to hear your message. So check them out. The number four, D E G R E.ES. John of All Trades Podcasts is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all at the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews, those are every Monday. We get a little snapshot into what the next week's episode is going to be, and new episodes drop on Wednesday. Both on iTunes Stitcher and John of AllTrades homepage, J-O-N of AllTrades.us. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, Please hit that subscription button. You'll get brand new episodes delivered right to you. And if you're so inclined, give us a rating, give us a review. Those things help us increase our visibility. I'm back here next week with a fresh episode. So until I hear you back here then, say goodbye, crazy.
0: That's good, Johnny.